thank the band and Sean and Jess leading us so well. Yeah, awesome. And hey, one of the things I wanna say, man, I really love the video that Pastor Drew uh, did. He, he's our SEND pastor. And as we think about all the amazing things that God has done throughout the year, man, that's certainly something that we should celebrate. And we thank God for that. But the reason behind us being here today and celebrating a born Jesus is so that we as followers of Christ can go and be as witness in our Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So in Apex and the surrounding communities, in our state, in our nation, in North America, to the uttermost, man, God has called us to go and to make disciples and to love God and to love people. And we wanna do this faithfully. So what I wanna do is I wanna spend just a few moments looking at a text that is nestled in an Old Testament book written about 700 years before the birth of Jesus. We're going to look at the book of Micah. So if you'll grab your Bibles, turn to Micah chapter 5. I want to look at just one verse there, and then I'm going to bounce around to a few different uh, books of the Bible and, and reference a couple of things. But there's three things from this verse that I want to extract and I want to talk about for just a couple of minutes. Number one, I want to talk about Bethlehem. I want to talk about the significance of Bethlehem. Why is Bethlehem important? What do we see throughout the quarters of history, throughout the Word of God, that, that reveal to us the importance of Bethlehem and why Jesus must be born there? We're also going to talk about Jesus as King. What does it mean when we say Jesus is King? What do we mean when we say Jesus is is Lord. We're going to speak about that for just a couple of minutes. We also want to talk about what is implied in this text, and that's the humility of Jesus. So we're going to talk about Bethlehem, we're going to talk about Jesus as King, and we're going to talk about the humility of Christ. So if you're willing and able, please stand in honor of reading the Word of God. Abronsus Biblis in a libro de Micah, capitulo cinco, verso dos, por favor. So Micah chapter five starting in verse two and ending in verse two. If you're there, we say amen. Hey, if you're excited to be here, we say amen. Come on, somebody. Here we go. Micah chapter five, verse two says, but you, O Bethlehem, by the way, Bethlehem means house of bread. And here's an Old Testament word for Bethlehem, Epaphratha, which means fruitfulness. Who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. So this is a small town. Uh, demographers say that Bethlehem is a thousand people or less. Small town. From you, this little town of Bethlehem, so come forth for me one who is to be ruler of Israel. Then listen to this next part. Whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. May God, God bless the reading and the proclamation of his word today. You may be seated. As we break down these three categories that we see right here in verse two, I wanna start by talking about Bethlehem. Why is Bethlehem important? Where do we hear of Bethlehem in the Old Testament? Well, let's go way back to Genesis chapter 35. You don't have to turn there. I'll tell you a story that happened in Genesis 35. Rachel, who was to give birth to her second son, she is traveling through Bethlehem and it is at Bethlehem that she finds herself going into labor. Well, Rachel is struggling in labor and she has a lot of difficulties in her labor and she ends up dying right there in Bethlehem. And she says this before she dies, she wants to name her son Benani, which means son of suffering. 
But the daddy, Jacob, he said, you know, let's call him Benjamin, which literally translates son of, of my right hand. Well, that, that's when Bethlehem's first introduced, whenever Rachel loses her life there while giving birth to her second-born son, Benani. Now, a lot of years later, we see another lady come on the scene in, in Bethlehem. Her name is Naomi. Now, Naomi, she had a really good life. She had a loving husband. She had a lot of sons, and, and everything was good, but tragedy struck. She lost her husband. She lost her sons. And she said this, she said that her life became so difficult that she no longer wanted to be called Naomi. She said, don't call me Naomi, man, call me Mara. You see, Mara is representative of an Old Testament river that is bitter. And she said, call me Mara because my life has become bitter. So we see Rachel suffering in Bethlehem. We see Naomi suffering in Bethlehem. And if you fast forward quite a few years, we now see a picture of Herod in Bethlehem. Herod is a king, he's an evil king, a narcissistic king, a prideful king, and he wanted no one to be worshiped other than himself. Yet, all the Jews knew that all of the Bible pointed towards a coming Messiah. Well, word had gotten out that a Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem, and Herod didn't like this, so he summoned the, the wise men as they were going to find this Messiah, this born Jesus. He calls them over. He says, hey, look, guys, I want you to go find out where he is, and I want you to tell me where he is so that I, too, can go and worship him. But Herod did not want to worship Jesus. Herod wanted to actually kill Jesus. Interesting fact about the wise men, which if you tomorrow morning will press, press play on a pre-recorded sermon that's going to be on our website, I'm going to talk about the magi and the wise men, in, wise men in detail. But a real quick snippet of that is the wise men were what we would consider to be modern day sorcerers, right? Like they, they wore the pointy hats with the stars on them. We know this because in the book of Acts, there's a a magi, a sorcerer named Elymas, and Paul looks at him and he condemns him and he says, you're a child of Satan because you're trying to make the straight path of the Lord crooked. Some pretty cool things there that we're going to talk about tomorrow, one being that the magi were seen as the worst of the worst in many cases, yet an infant Jesus summoned them unto himself, and when they got to Jesus, you know what they did? They worshiped him. And you know what they did when they left Jesus? Here's what they didn't do. They didn't go back to Herod to tell Herod. They went back to their hometown and they were obedient to the Lord's call on their life, which means that the Lord is mighty to save anyone. But, but all that said, here's what happens. Jesus is born. Herod couldn't find out where Jesus is. So he made a decree because here in Bethlehem, man, he heard that this Messiah had been born and he didn't want anybody to be worshiped other than himself. So here's the decree. I want every male child two years and under to, to be expired. And so again, demography teaches us that between 50 to 100 young boys, their lives, their lives were taken because of Herod's narcissism, because of his greed, because of his pride. You know, where, you, know, you know where all this took place? All of this took place in a little town called Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem means house of bread, but did you know this as well? It's also a place of suffering. 
Now, I would say one other example that we see in the Word of God is also written 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 53 talks about how Jesus came, but no one looked at him as one who was one to be adored. No, man, they rejected him, spat upon him, abused him physically and emotionally. Everyone came against him, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him for the sins of those who were rejecting him. Wow. So we see a suffering servant who is going to be born in this little itty bitty town called Bethlehem. So we see a little bit about Bethlehem, but let's continue on. What does it mean that Jesus is king and why is this king born in this little town called Bethlehem? Well, here's, here's something that we see. Let's go back to the story of Naomi for just a moment. You know, there's a main character in the story with Naomi. As a matter of fact, there's an entire book of the Bible written after her. Do you know her name? Her name is Ruth. I heard it. So Ruth is Naomi's daughter-in-law. So Naomi lost her husband, lost her sons. Well, Ruth's husband was one of those sons that was lost. And Ruth is sticking around. Naomi said, no, go away, make a life for yourself. I'm miserable. But here's what Ruth said. And we quote this in many wedding uh, passages. Ruth said, where you go, I will go. You see, she was a Moabite woman and she was not a, you know, a Jew by physical descent. So she said, hey, Naomi, your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. And something really fascinating happened. So in the Torah, they would leave the edges of the fields available for those that are poor and destitute and downtrodden to glean off of so that they could have some kind of sustenance. And Ruth and Naomi are doing this. They're gleaning some of the wheat from the field. And what she did not know is God had a bigger plan. Boaz, who's the owner of the field, he took a liking to Ruth, the Moabite widow. And they ended up getting married. You see, Ruth didn't know that the field that she was gleaning in was a field that she owned, man. God had a bigger picture. And this is all in Bethlehem. God had a bigger picture. So here's what happens. Boaz and Ruth get married. They have a baby. This baby's name, catch this, is Obed. And Obed had a child named Jesse. Come on, y'all are getting it. Jesse had a, a son named David. And David was selected as king right there in this little bitty town called Bethlehem. As a matter of fact, when he was approached to be king, he was not even in the line of those to be selected. He was out tending the sheep because his daddy was like, ah, he ain't no good. Right? He's, he's not going to be like the, the other sons that I have. Yet when God selected David to be king, he went after the one that was the most humble. He went after the one that was the one that didn't commonsensically match what everyone thought to be so. Here's what's fascinating about David being from Bethlehem. Think about this. The Bible actually calls Jesus son of David. There you go. Come on, somebody. Here's why. Here's why. Because we've been taught throughout the entire uh, word of God that through his lineage would a savior be born in a little town called Bethlehem. So we see Jesus as king and we see the reality of his 
his kingdom in the prophecies of the Old Testament. I love to think of it this way. The, the Bible says in Micah uh, 5, 2, the latter part, it says of this of Jesus, whose coming forth is from old. Think about that for a minute. What does this mean? Well, many believe that when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, this is when his kingdomship started. But brother and sister, listen, don't think that way. Why? Because his comings and goings are from old. What does that mean? He has always been the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He has always been and will always be. I am that I am. Where do we see Jesus in the Old Testament? Well, here's a few examples. When, when Abraham and Sarah got ahead of God because God promised them a chosen son in which he would build a great nation and they were old in age and it hadn't happened. They got ahead of God and they went to their maidservant, Hagar, this Egyptian woman, and Abraham has a child, Ishmael, with Hagar. Well, Hagar is pregnant and afraid and alone and Jesus shows up to bring her comfort. Moses, when he encounters the burning bush, did you know that it is Jesus that's in the midst? When, when, when Abraham is to sacrifice his son Isaac, do you know that it is Yahweh that is present? And when there is a ram provided in the thicket, it is an example of Jesus being provided for us, so much so that the name of that place where Isaac was to be, was to be given as a sacrifice, but God provided a scapegoat, the name of that place is Yahweh Yara, which means Jesus provides, man. Uh, continuing on, think about, think about the Hebrews as they are being led through the desert by a cloud. This is the Lord, Jesus. Think of in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember the story? They've been thrown into a fiery furnace. Do you remember this? They're all in a fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar, an evil king, he walks by and he looks in the furnace and they're not burning up. And he says, I don't see three of them. I see four of them. And one of them looks like the son of man, which is a reference of God, Jesus. Yahweh. So as you read this text and it says, whose coming forth is from old, this ain't a new thing, man. He is the King of Kings and he is the Lord of Lords. And it didn't just happen, him being a baby there in Bethlehem. No, it's always been. Jesus incarnate was God's gift to give us hope and redemption and life. So that brings us to the last point, humility. What is implied in this text couple of things. Number one, thinking about King Herod again for just a moment. Did you know that just outside of Bethlehem, three miles outside of Bethlehem, he had constructed this 45-acre mountain palace called the Herodian. And this is a place that he just liked to hang out, man. And the crazy thing about this palace is in his, in, in his narcissistic mindset, this mountain that was, was man-constructed shaded Bethlehem. Now, Jesus, here's this earthly king who is living for self and all the things that he wants. Jesus is born three miles away, shaded by the Herodian, catch this, in a manger. You know what a manger is? Feed trough. He's born in this feed trough. And we don't know if he's born in a cave or in a stable. We know he wasn't in an inn because Mary was rejected from the inn. Why? Well, many think because it would be unclean for her to have child. She was, she was going to have child any day. They knew that that was happening. And so rejected, rejected, rejected. So Jesus is born in a manger, 
in a feed trough. And we know this, whether it's a cave or in a stable, he was born amongst the livestock under the shadow of this earthly king who seems to have it all, the savior of the world who's always been and will always be, infant Jesus is born in a feed trough amongst livestock. But you know, that was not only descriptive of his life as a baby. This is true of Jesus throughout his entire life. Jesus incarnate on earth in his humanity. How do we see this? Well, a couple of quick things. We see it very easily in the way that he treated people. He, do you remember this? He wrapped a towel around his waist and he knelt over and he washed the feet of the disciples. That was the lowliest job that could have been done in that day. And he says, this is the example that I'm setting for you. He also said, I don't have a place to lay my head. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the son of man, son of God has no place to lay his head. Jesus was the first to feed the hungry. He was the first to care for the hurting. He lived a life of humility. When we think about the humility of Jesus, we think about the prophecy that we see in Zechariah chapter one, where it talks about the horseman that doesn't ride on top of the mountain. No, he rides amongst the myrtle trees. And the myrtle trees are representative of the lowliness. Jesus came in great humility. All of the world at that time, they thought that they were receiving a political king to make their world around them right. But Jesus came to save his people from their sins. Wow, man. So as we think about what Christ has done for us, we can't help but think about the reality of Bethlehem, the suffering, and Jesus would ultimately suffer, the son of suffering that we see in in Isaiah 53, we can't help but think about Jesus as king. This isn't a new thing. No, he's always been this Trinitarian God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit has always been. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we see him coming in great humility. What does that mean for us? Well, I think it's pretty clear. Number one, catch this, you'll think this is kind of cool. The Herodian, this mountain, many people believe that when Jesus was teaching and he said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you could say this mountain move and the mountain will move, that he was pointing at the Herodian. You know what that means for us? That means many of us have mountains of sin and pride and ugliness and wretchedness in our heart because <laughs> we're born this way. This is our nature. But if we have faith in God, he can say to that mountain, move and it will move. And we can, we can be imputed the righteousness of God and we can walk in that truth and that hope and that is glorious for us. We can also be reminded that at just the right time, the Lord does what he does. You remember Mary and Joseph, they were from Nazareth. Yet Caesar Augustus said, hey, I know you're nine months pregnant. I ain't worried about you. What I'm worried about are taxes. So you gotta go to your hometown and register. He didn't care about keeping a tally of the people. He cared about making sure that the people were paying taxes. And so they journeyed to Bethlehem. And at just the right time, Jesus, all the prophecies came true as he is born in a little town called Bethlehem. Today in Bethlehem, there's a church that was originally constructed by Constantine, which is several years after, um, after the, the birth of Jesus. But there's a church called the Church of the Nativity. 
And that church is strategically constructed. It's placed literally over where they believe Jesus was born. It's strategically constructed with the entrance being low. Here's why. In order for you to get in, you got to get low. Do you know this today? What the Lord wants of you and I is to garb ourselves with the very thing that he garbed himself with and the example that he set for us, and that is humility. James, 1 Peter, Proverbs says that the pride will be taken down, but the humble will be exalted by him. So my question for you is the same question I must ask myself as we approach this Christmas season and we know the realities of what Christ has done for us, man. Are we walking in the humility that Christ has set as an example before us? A good passage for us to focus on is... I finish out this message. I, I want to just read this to you. It's Philippians chapter two, verse five. Listen to this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see that cradle led to Calvary. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and on heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus says in the book of John, I am the bread of life. Out of Bethlehem, the house of bread, even though there was suffering involved, and out of the house of bread came the bread of life. And if you would only call on his name, you can have hope that is found in Christ alone. But in order to get there, we must humble ourselves. The truth is, according to this text, every knee will bow and every tongue confessed will confess that Jesus is Lord, but not every heart, not every heart will find themselves in a forever home called heaven with Jesus. While we are breathing on this side of heaven, it is our responsibility to say, hey, Christmas is a lot of fun, the lights, the family, the food, the gifts, the treasures. But while I'm on this side of heaven, I want to learn from Jesus. And he says, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth because your ultimate treasure is in heaven. Will you call on him? Will you know that Christmas is all about Christ, man? And, and I would say it this way to you in closing. If we are to really experience the glory of who God is in our own lives, we need to get some little Bethlehem in our hearts. <laughs> this little place in the middle of nowhere, shaded by all the earthly glittery things, came the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in great humility. And if we are gonna find life, we need to humble ourselves and get some little Bethlehem in our hearts because Jesus is very clear that if you want to be first, be a servant, man. Be last. If you want to experience Christ in your life deeply, there has to be less of you. That's John 3.30. So my encouragement for you this Christmas is to give you a little bit of context of how all of the Bible is pointed towards this coming Messiah. And that's an amazing thing. This wasn't by happenstance. This isn't just something that you could try to believe in. I mean, all of the Bible points towards this. Micah, 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Isaiah, 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And oh, by the way, when Herod made that decree, 
where those little babies, their life was taken. Did you know that in Jeremiah 31, there's a very specific text there that talks about Rachel grieving over the loss of the babies. And that is quoted in Matthew 2. So all of the Bible was foretold of this and then it came to fruition. It's amazing, man. So you don't wanna miss that God's hand is on all of that. And guess what? You are not here by mistake either. God's hand is on you. How will you respond to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who's always been here? How will you respond to the truth of Jesus incarnate on this day during this Christmas? I I hope that all of our responses is great humility. Okay, I'm gonna pray for us. Thank you for listening to me. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna continue with the rest of our service. Father, thank you for your love and your kindness. God, thank you for the truth of your word, just being able to go back and to look at some of the Old Testament text and God, to be able to put all of that together and God, to respond to you in humility. What what a privilege we have uh, to be able to gather today and to love you and to be known by you, to open your word. God, the, the truth is, this is all about you. So God, help us to be focused there. God, that this is all about you. And God, we, uh, we wanna worship you because you are worthy of all worship, all adoration, and all praise. And we pray this in the powerful name of King Jesus and all God's people said, amen.